title of my message this morning is a little bit bold or arrogant sounding even. It's simply, you're the answer. I'm the answer. We're the answer. The church is the answer. Pretty bold to make that proclamation. I want to preface that as we go forward is I understand and I know you understand that Jesus is really the answer. God is really the answer. But He has given us an amazing responsibility as the church, His church, which is made up of His kids, His sons and daughters. We call them Christians. And God has given us an amazing responsibility to do a whole lot of things. And we can only do them because of Him, because of who He is. But we still are called to do them. You know, it's, it's good to grab hold of that verse in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ, through Him who gives me strength. Because what He commands us to do, there is no way we could do in our flesh. It's impossible to do it in our flesh. We're going to look and I'm going to answer and give you the reason I believe there, there's an answer and the answer is us. Uh, for those of you that are in life groups, I don't know where you're at, depending how regular you're meeting, but in, in chapter 6, the last session, I should say, the last session of Big Church, Andy Stanley starts out pretty much with these questions. And I want to start my message with these same questions this morning. And then I'm going to deviate from the direction he went, and hopefully um, it'll all come together by the time we get done. And we could be in trouble because that clock quit. All right. Don't look at your watches. First question was, does the church really matter today? Does the church matter today? Is the message that the church has relevant today? Is the message relevant? Is the church making a difference in the culture that we live in? Is the church or has the church made a difference in the world? And then this question caused me to really think and try to imagine. This question was, if the church disappeared tomorrow, would it make any difference? Wow. I can't even imagine. The church is present and look what fear is just encompassing our nation. The answer to every one of those questions is a, a resounding yes. However, even having said that, we are making as a church nowhere near the difference that the church made two or three generations ago. And we are making nowhere the difference in our culture that we're living in that we should be today. You know, as, as Christians, or even just as people, probably normal people, it's easy to get together and start looking around our culture, watching our newscasts, looking at social media, and saying, what in the world is going on? What is wrong with the world? The world we're living in is a mess. It's a mess. In the study guide that we're using, Big Church, Andy Stanley quotes a man, and he doesn't give the man's name because he's a Chinese man. And the quote that we're going to look at in just a moment is a quote that was spoken in 2002, 18 years ago. And it was spoken by a man who was a scholar 
for one of the most prestigious academic research institutes in China. It was the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences in Beijing. And they had been studying the Western culture, in particular the United States of America, for well over 20 years. And what they were trying to figure out was, why in the world has the West, and primarily the United States of America, excelled so much beyond most of the world? Here's the quote from this man. He says, one of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspectives. At first we thought it was because you had bigger guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion. Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubts about this. An intellectual in China who him and a number of other intellectuals have been studying our nation for years and years and years and years trying to figure out why in the world we stand above the rest of the world as a nation. And it's so amazing that his answer was one thing, Christianity. And then when he said the moral Christian foundation of social and cultural life, Could we say the same thing today, 20 years later? Is the Christian faith the moral foundation of our culture and our society today? Well, certainly the answer is, at least to a degree, it is. But it seems to be, from observation, going the other way rapidly. And we're seeing a cultural and social decline like we probably haven't seen before in this nation. What's happened? I said as we get together as Christians, even as Christians, we come down to this question, what's wrong with the world we live in? And I want to just offer up that that is the absolute wrong question. And if that's the question we're asking, we're always going to be looking for an answer that doesn't give us the correct answer or the solution to the problem. And from the title of my message, you might have figured out you're the answer. The church. Christians. Contrary to public opinion, human beings are not basically good. We hear that all the time. People are basically good. Seriously, church, hear me on this. If we know anything about the Bible whatsoever, we know that is an absolute contradiction to what the Word of God says. We are not, as humans, basically good. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said hundreds of years before Christ. 
in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And it's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Some people are better than others. That's a given. But the reality is, when God describes the human heart, He says it is deceitful above all things. Meaning the potential for darkness and evil knows no bounds in the human heart. And all we need to do is look at history to say that, yeah, that's true. When we hear about things that have taken place, atrocities that have taken place, when we, all we have to do is go to Hitler and the Jews. How could any human beings do that to other human beings? And there's many examples throughout history. Now, not only the Old Testament prophet says that. Listen to what Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7. This is Jesus speaking. And he's addressing a little argument that was taking place about what foods they could eat. It's like he said, forget about what you put into your body. Pay attention. He says, then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile, evil things come from within. That's what defiles us. The heart. Human beings are not basically good. We were created that way, but something went wrong. Human nature, it's ugly when left to its own self. And men or women cannot change it on our own. That's one of the reasons the church matters. The church matters because we teach, should teach, that the true church would say human nature is not good enough. But the true church also matters because the message we have carries within it the answer to the problem of human nature. And that's Jesus Christ. What He's done. The cross. Death. Burial. Resurrection. The giving of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in each one of us. We have the answer as the church. And it's always going to be Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but it's also always going to be until He comes back the church. The church. Paul makes a distinction clearly in Galatians chapter 5 of the contrast between those led by the natural nature, the flesh, and those led by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting how much of what he says here is quoting Jesus himself that we just read. In Galatians chapter 5, Starting in verse 19, here's what he says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which is your natural nature before you're saved, we shouldn't be surprised what we see in the world. We should be absolutely shocked and horrified what we see in Christ's church. Here's what the world, the sinful nature, the results are very clear, Paul says. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Like that's not a long enough list. Let me tell you again, as if I said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we can, we can play with those words and the culture plays with those words and they try to redefine those words. Religious denominations are trying to play with those words and redefining those words. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. There's a particular teaching out there amongst a major denomination that says the reason we're going to go along with approval of the marriage of gays and lesbians to one another is because the real problem is they're just not married. So it's adultery. It's fornication. But if they get married, the sin goes away. I mean, seriously. This is the church, or supposedly the church, saying these things. And I know it's not politically correct to contradict those things. But it's not Bible. You can divine that very first thing that Paul talks about, sexual immorality, any way you want. Go right ahead. But the reality is simply this. And it should end all the other arguments if you believe the Bible is the Word of God. It says in Genesis, He created man and woman. And sex was designed for holy marriage between one man and one woman. Any other type of sexual activity outside of the marriage bond is fornication. Clear. I mean, I even figured it out. Thank goodness he goes on and doesn't leave us with the old nature. He follows that up in verse, starting in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit, thank goodness, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives as Christians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says these interesting words. Against these things, there's no law. We don't need to regulate those things. We have to create all kinds of laws to protect the public from the old human nature. We have hundreds of laws protecting people from the acts of the flesh. And Paul says, for a born-again, Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit-filled believer, there's no need for those laws because this is what our life should look like. And then he goes on in verse 24 and says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them. Notice, he says, those that belong have done something. It's something that's impossible for us to do unless the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. But yet we still have to do something. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit in us and allow this new life in us to manifest and crucify the old nature. If you want to really simplify all that, we need to quit doing what the old nature wants to do. We couldn't do it before, but with the Holy Spirit living in us, there is now the grace and the power to overcome. That is such good news when I look at the old nature. The church has the answer 
to the problem. We're the answer to the problem. But I said earlier, the question, what's wrong with the world we live in, is the wrong question. You may have heard of a theologian and preacher named John Stott. He's written some classic books. He was talking about this topic, and here's his quote. We should not ask, what is wrong with the world? For that diagnosis has already been given. It's called sin, right? Sin. Rather, we should ask, what has happened to salt and light? What has happened to salt and light? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking again. It's part of his Sermon on the Mount that we're familiar with. Follows shortly after all the blessed art thou's. And he says, You are the salt of the earth. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to disciples. He's speaking to followers of Christ. His followers. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me, his church. He's speaking to his sons and his daughters. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except being thrown out and trampled by men. Gravel. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. One of the first things that caught my attention this time was Jesus himself saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light. It strikes me because Jesus himself declared, I am the light. But now he's saying, you are the light. I am the light. How much more clear can it be in Jesus' perspective and His plan and His purpose, we are to represent Jesus to the world. We are the light. You are the salt. Most of us have heard teachings on the salt. Being salt. Salt. Makes foods more palatable. I know some of you disagree with me, but it does. It makes it more pleasurable. makes it more palatable. But a real aspect of salt is as a preservative. It's a preservative. It will keep things from rotting. It keeps things from spoiling. keeps things from becoming putrid. If we are the salt of the earth, we're to be the ones who are supposed to be keeping our culture and our society be from becoming rotten and putrid. That's our job. You're the answer. We are the answer. How do we do that? How do we as the church keep our culture, <coughs> the world, from going into total moral decay? Well, I believe there's three clear things in the Scripture. One, His church is called to pray. To pray. To pray and bring in the blessings of God. Pray. 
break through the darkness through prayer. We underestimate it. I underestimate it. I don't do a good enough job with it. It's easy not to pray. I'd rather work hard, do something, anything else sometimes. But pray. It is one of the most powerful weapons he's given us besides the Word of God. His church should be praying. Second thing that we see here, I believe clearly, is that we need to live our lives as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Meaning, we need to live our lives like Jesus lived his. And I know I'm not so ignorant and foolish to think that we can do it perfectly. But we have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us. The fruit is in us. And the world is watching us. And we are influencing the world, or we should be, by allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us in all that we do. So living lives led by the Holy Spirit is an example. And the third thing I want to mention is we need to be speaking the words of truth in love. We need to be speaking up in love. Now, I'll give us the fact that there may be times when the Holy Spirit says, Mike, shut up. Let it go. Fortunately, he does that a lot when I'm reading social media garbage. I just want to encourage you, social media is not a good place to get in debates about faith. Nobody reading your words can see your heart. They don't know whether you're speaking in in anger or rage or criticism or judgmental or in love. If you care about the people you want to correct, make a coffee date with them. Uh, so much for that advertisement. <coughs> we need to be praying. We need to live a life demonstrating. We need to be speaking up. Speaking the truth in love. And he goes on and he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If Christianity exists only in word, it's worthless. We need to be living it out. Living our life. The life we cannot live is a life that looks like Galatians 5.19. You read through those verses. You might be able to put a line through some of them and say, I'm okay there. I'm okay there. But boy, there's some convicting things that Paul wrote about and there's some convicting things that Jesus Himself spoke. Sexual immorality. Envy. Anger. Drunkenness. Bet you don't want me to go there. He says these things ought not be in the life of a Christian. We need to look different than Galatians 5.19. We need to look like verses 22-23. That's what we need to look like. But too often, it does. In Ephesians 5.8, it says this, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather, expose them. 
All we need to do is live as righteous a life as the Holy Spirit leads us into, the best we can do, and it will expose unrighteousness without us even saying a word. If you don't believe me, you ever been in a position where a person or a group of people are going to go and do something or they're saying something, and you just say, no, I'm not in. What's wrong with you, Mike? You used to be fun. You used to be part of the group. I believe the Holy Spirit is convicting the living tar out of them. And we don't have to say a word, but choose to live a different way. Why is so much of the church failing at this? Speaking the truth in a world that denies absolute truth is a difficult task. If you want to remain very popular amongst lots of groups of people, you can't speak the truth. And even when you do it in, in love, as much love as you possibly can, you're going to alienate people. The world that we're living in, much of our world, much of our culture does not believe in absolute truth. As Christians, we should say this book is absolute truth. It's always true in every situation for every human being for all time. It's truth. Now, if we talk like that, it better be in love, but we're still going to be mocked and ridiculed. We're still going to lose popularity. We may have friends who get so upset with us they no longer want to be our friend. It could easily happen. We need to speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes what we need to do is just speak up. There's so many times where there's something that any, everything in your spirit knows, uh-uh, this is wrong, this is wrong, but I know if I say something, ugh, fill in the blank, it's not going to go well. They won't like me. They won't respect me. I'm going to be called intolerant and a bigot and a homophobe. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Now remember I said there may be times when the Holy Spirit says, keep your mouth shut, Mike. But most of the time, He wants us to be salt and light and speak truth with love. So many times, you've probably heard the phrase, silence is agreement. I don't speak up, I must agree. And in our culture today, I, I get it, I know how hard it is to speak up because we will discover quickly, if we haven't already, that absolute truth is not politically correct much of the time. And the world is changing the meaning of words. Religious people, quote-unquote Christian people, are redefining what the Scripture clearly says by doing some sort of jumping through hoops and twisting of Scripture. But the key is for us, speak truth in love. Speaking truth without love it comes across as being nothing but judgmental and critical and more holy than thou. And again, even when we speak it in all the love the Holy Spirit can pump through us, the result may not be good because the deception out there is powerful. 
And John 8.12 is where Jesus spoke the words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he calls us the light of the world. He goes on and says, we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Our actions, our conversation is not to remain hidden. It's not to remain just in our home or just in our churches and just in our gathering together with a great group of Christian friends. That's not where it's just supposed to stay. It's supposed to go out and impact our culture and our society. We need to be seen and we need to be heard and we need to be seen and heard like Jesus was. Neither do people put a lamp and put it under a bowl. I believe what we're really being told here is Jesus didn't save me and you and rescue me and you and enlighten you and I. Is that better than me and you? I can always tell when my wife starts to cringe. (laughs) He didn't enlighten us so we could put a bowl over the top of us and keep us in the dark. He says when you light a candle, what do you do with it? You don't go put it in the closet and close the door. You put the candle out there in the most prominent place you can so it lights up the area around you. That's who we are. We're like that candle. We are supposed to be in positions of prominence, put ourselves out there and let the light shine. Let it shine. That's what we're called to do. That's the reason that we are enlightened in the first place. Let your light shine before men. There's a scripture in Philippians 2.15. It says, so that you may be blessed, may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation. That's where we live. In which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the words of life. We speak the words of life, the word of God, truth from the scripture. We do it in love. We are shining brightly in a universe of corruption. And the world will see the difference. Let your light shine. And the reason for all of this, he concludes that section of Scripture in Matthew with these words, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, if the Holy Spirit is speaking through us, if we're living in obedience to the Holy Spirit, God is going to use that to woo others that need the light. Those that need to hear the truth in spite of what the culture might be saying. When the Holy Spirit is moving through us, the Holy Spirit is moving in others. You know, I think we all understand that if we're Christians, the Holy Spirit wooed us before we were even saved. And somebody probably shared some truth with you. Probably because they cared about you. And the Holy Spirit allowed us to receive that truth and accept the reality that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He was buried and He was raised again on the third day. He was seen by hundreds of witnesses. And this movement has been going on for over 2,000 years. And He said before He left, you're the answer. The church. The church is the answer. To the degree that the church is salt and light, That's how much the church matters. In many, many, many places, the church is becoming irrelevant. In America, United States of America, the church is losing its relevancy in many, many places. The enemy wants to silence the church. 
Let's not cooperate with the enemy. The church matters because the church has the message of eternal life. And really, as an added bonus to that, if you needed a bonus, is not only do we have the secret or the message of eternal life, we have the message of a better life here on earth. We sing about how we can be free in Christ, how the chains have been broken, that we have this amazing life. We have that message in the message of eternal life. To the level the church is sharing that message, we matter. The days we're living in, the salt of being the salt of the earth and being the light, I don't think has ever been any more important than any other time in history. We don't have a spirit of fear. We have the truth of the Word of God. That doesn't mean we act in foolishness or presumption. We've got such a a, a scenario going on in our nation right now that we can look at and look at this and say, why in the world is there so much fear? We should be aware. We should be cautious. We need to take necessary steps. God did give us a brain after all. But we do not have to slide into irrational fear, fear that's based on lies. We do serve a God that's bigger than anything out there and anything that ever will be. It's our job as the church to be salt, to be light, to to light the path that leads to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way we live, the way we speak, are critical. Let's close in prayer. Father, I am so thankful that when you give us a mission, especially one as big as this, being the salt and light to the world, you never send us out under-equipped. You've given us all that we need in your word and by your spirit to fulfill your mission and calling. God, as the corporate church in the world, we have a mission. As a local church here at Victory, we have a mission. And each one of us as Christians, followers of Jesus, we have a mission to be salt and light to be that influence wherever you've planted us for however long you leave us planted there. Lord, I pray that we would begin to see more clearly and hear your voice more clearly and that we would seize the opportunities to live a life that's different, to speak words of truth and love. And of course, that would be in prayer always. Father, today we do lift up this nation and nations of the earth that are under what appears to be an attack from a virus. It humbles us to know that we don't have the answers to everything as human beings. 
But Father, there is a place where only our trust and confidence and hope in you is what can give us peace. And I pray, Father, for the opportunity for your church to demonstrate the peace of the Lord and the joy of the Lord in the midst of this trial and test. Father, we do pray for your protection. We pray throughout the world where this is taking place that you would use for good what the enemy intends for evil, that we would see spiritual awakening and revivals break out. We would see people turning to God and to prayer in such a way that it lasts longer than a few weeks. And Father, we continue to pray for your guidance, your direction, great discernment as to how we should not only act in this circumstance that we find ourselves in, but we would also have that same wisdom and discernment as to how we can be salt and light. Father, we pray all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.